This episode is brought to you by Rad Dudes Who Love Nature. We were beating a new pub crawl book, and so I was pretty happy about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> more people cared about nature than about pub crawling, uh, at least for that the, a few weeks there. You are listening to Urban Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. We've got both of our co-hosts, Joey Brown and Tony Crowsdale. It's been a while. And... We're going to um, have a relatively informal chat today about some, both both of our book projects um, and, uh, yeah, a little bit of an update. So, as usual, you can email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Uh, we are not so active on Twitter these days, but that's still an account on my phone somewhere. So, you can hit us up at urbanwildlifecast, and that will ding me if you send us a message. Uh, of course, uh, you can find us on Facebook and comment on things there. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and also, of course, rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Leave comments. Let us know how we're doing. Send us ideas. Um, and without too much further ado, welcome back to the mic, Tony. Hey, it's been a while. It's too long, you know, but um, but I'm looking forward to uh, getting back in the groove. You know, I think the uh, between um, my band's album. Uh, recording that and dealing with all that and then the which is by the way out which should be out the fall it hasn't been officially announced yet the label will announce it when it's closer to the um release date because they release a couple singles and stuff so it's a whole whole thing but it'll be out in the fall um but i think between that and, and for you know, people obviously who don't know what's the band and what's the album the band is called rambo um i'm not going to say anything about what the album is until uh just that we have an album coming out um, what does Rambo stand even, for, Tony? Um, well, it's, I'm not gonna. It, it's gonna be different on this record, so I'm not gonna tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I don't even know if I'm gonna tell anybody the album's coming out at all. But you know, I don't know what the crossover is. But uh, yeah, so it is. It, we have a label. It will release in the fall, and then the details will will follow. I have to uh, be uh, you know, respect their wishes. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, so there's that, and yeah, I have a two-year-old. So you got the album coming out with Rambo. Um, yeah. Obviously, we have children, and children, they, they require a certain amount of time and effort. And uh, yeah, and, and, and as they require a certain amount of time and effort, and also, like, um, there's nothing really I, I'd rather do. Uh, I don't, you know, I wonder what it would have been like having a kid when I was a bit younger. Um, you know, part of me laments having a kid in my early 40s, because or sorry, mid forties, I guess. Um, cause, uh, you know, I'm so much older than her, um, compared, you know, my dad was t- uh, 26 when I was born. I was 42, no 44 when my daughter was born. Um, you know, and I hope I don't die too soon for her and make her really sad. You know, but, I hope so too. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, so I think about that, but, um, you know, a 26 year old in um, 1976 is a lot different than a 26 year old um, in 20, tw- you know, 22, in terms of like where your life is at and and, and secure. You know, my parents owned a home <laughs> for a couple years already. 
Um, and, uh, you know, my dad, my dad had had his job the whole have for his career for, um, seven years when he had me, you know what I mean? Like I, I now just, you know, I had my job, you know, my career job for only five years before I had my daughter. So, you know, and I was 44. So, you know, I think you're in a lot different place and, and you're kind of just, I don't, and I've already been to 50 some countries. So, been in, you know, band travel the world, did a bunch of cool, crazy shit, you know? So I'm not really like, there's nothing I really I'd rather do than spend time with my daughter. And it might've been different if I was a bit younger and had done as much and experienced as much life. So I'm kind of just content. I, I kind of don't want to miss the next adorable, hilarious thing she says, you know? Uh, and also because of my ADHD, I'm often not present um, mentally um, as much as I'd like to be. So at least I like to be present physically <laughs> as much as I can, you know? Pass the battle. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And so uh, you go first. You've got um, something we've been, and, and to me, this doesn't feel like news because Tony and I and a few other people have been e- emailing about Tony's um, idea for a book, but. Uh, uh, I, I, it is something we you've been shopping around. You got a few little bites. I mean, nothing. Maybe not enough to to, to yeah. Stay in the bag. I mean, I don't know. It's not really. Wor- I don't, I'm kind of nervous. Like, um, should I even talk about it? Because what if it gets? What if my idea gets um, swept? But um, um, I have an idea to write to do a field guide to the urban wildlife of the world, and I have artists. I have a whole proposal that i've been shopping around i have sample chapters i have sample plates i have a whole outline um you know my idea is to have a book that you could step off a plane anywhere in the world and immediately start identifying almost every terrestrial vertebrate that you'll see um because i think that from my own experiences and looking into, you know, iNaturalist and eBird and things for places I haven't been to and and the places I have been to, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's doable. And I think that, um, a lot of naturalists who are going, who are traveling for whatever reason, um, you know, when they're in it, they find themselves in cities and like, for instance, if you're doing a field, if you're doing a guided tour somewhere, you're yeah. often are going to have time in the city before and after your tour starts, wherever it leaves from, right? Cause you don't just fly into the Amazon. You fly into like Sao Paulo and then take a, a small flight to like Manaus or whatever else. And, you know, and even that city, you know, you might want to walk, you know, like you, you definitely go, you know, you land, you know, in a big city and maybe take a flight to a smaller city and then go from there. Right. So like, right. if you want to check out those cities, like, there's wildlife there to see. And, and, you know, you, you might not have a field guide that covers that um, with you. You might be depending, you know, expecting the, the you know, you're going to go somewhere where a guide is going to tell you everything is there. Um, you might be a birder and not know that much about other taxa, you know, um, or you might be a herper and not know that much about birds. And like, you know, necessarily want to bring a field guide. You may have a layover in a country that you're not, that you're on your way. That's like you might have a twelve-hour layer, especially if you're going to some pretty remote places, a pretty, um, you know, like places that people don't go to that often. You can't just take a direct flight there. You might have to take several flights, and often they're not timed perfectly. So you, you know, this would be you might if you want to, you know, look around a city that you're not planning to 
that your tour isn't actually going to, or your expedition for that matter, or whatever you're doing, you know, it's just something that you can have, or say you travel for work or, or whatnot. And it's just a book you can have and immediately like start identifying wildlife wherever you may be. Cause I think that, you know, a, there's a class of wildlife or wildlife that's like ubiquitous, like either the wildlife itself is like, for instance, like a peregrine falcon, they adapt to the cities all over the world. Right. And they've got their, their on their own power. Right. Or like, you know, Mediterranean house gecko is a, is a species that has been introduced all over the world, you know, mostly yeah. probably by accident. So, but there's a suite of species that are ubiquitous around the world in cities. Um, and we'll cover that. But then also each region has wildlife that has adapted to the cities that's unique. And I think that, um, you know, we can basically cover that. And also it'll give you some clues and some uh, tips on the how, how to observe wildlife. What are the, what are the places? Um, there's some, there's some places that tend to be always good to see wildlife. Um, you know, like some kind of, you know, like I was saying, like sewage treatment plants or airports or drainage ditches, like things that like, you know, kind of like universal. I've noticed as we've, we've researched stuff for the podcast that just so many, I mean, A, so many cities are on water, which is sort of a basic way that cities have developed over the century. And then so many cities on water have some waterfront park. But yeah, I mean, for instance, one of the things we talk, one of the sample places was the city of Balak Bakon. In, in Indonesia, Borneo, Kalimantan. And I mean, their waterfront area literally has like proboscis monkeys, you know, and like irati dolphins, you know, like and that's, you know, and I was talking, I'm going to talk to the um, guys from um, um, Naturally Adventurous because they've been doing their top five habitats, their top five, like of each region. And I, I want to do the top five um, urban habitats with them and one of the ones i wrote down was the mangrove marina you know where like there's often you know waterfront park like you're saying um but you know often is there's like a boardwalk through mangroves or just like an area where there's where the mangroves will come you know you have access to often some of your best access to mangroves are actually in urban areas you know where you can get um because there's an infrastructure you know just like by accident that gives you access to mangroves where you can see like rails walking amongst the prop roots or like, you know, mangrove pita. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I mean, Miami, you know, like one of the best places to see like mangrove cuckoo is like a marina and like American crocodiles right in the marinas, you know, where there's mangroves. It's just like a very, um, you know, it's a, a, it's a, you know, one of the best places. It's also like a, you know, one of my favorite cities for urban wildlife is, is Cairns in Northern Australia. And they have two spots. One's like a mangrove area and there's like a little boardwalk through it and whatnot. And then there's like a mudflats right along like this Esplanade, uh, which is one of the best places to watch shorebirds. I think it's the best place to watch shorebirds in Australia and one of the greatest places to watch shorebirds in the world. And it's, you know, it's Australia. So everybody's really attractive. So you're like, there's like these unbelievably attractive people like <laughs> jogging. And then like, you know, like a bunch of cool shorebirds uh, and like on mudflats. And, and then of course, there's just like, you know, fig birds and parrots and, you know, um, well, double-eyed fig parrot for that matter. And like all these honey eaters, just like, you know, mangrove whistler or whatever. And, um, it was all right there in the city. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I feel like there's a niche, I've had a couple of bites. We'll see if anything happens, but you know, if any publishers are out there, Hey, 
you know, give us a holler, you know, Billy will be, you know, an editor and an author for this book too. So. Awesome. And you've got me looking up what the heck is a double eyed big parrot. Um, it's gorgeous. It's a, it has like kind of the look of an Amazon day, like with the red on the front. Um, yeah, but they're tiny. They're like, yeah, the size of like a house sparrow or something. And while Amazon is like a size of like, you know, a pigeon sure. or a crow. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Billy actually has a book, so we should really focus on, on your actual book that is like, I literally, um, I'm in my, um, naturalist slash James Bond slash, um, playroom. Uh, cause I have a kid and now every room is a playroom, um, lair. And, and in one of the bookshelves is Billy's book. Um, <laughs> which is, which is fun. I, I, um, I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast much, but basically a few years ago, and I, I think it was actually spring of 2019. I remember this because having a conversation, um, I had, I've been writing for many years for a local Philly magazine called Grid, and I still do. It's a local sustainability magazine. Um, I've written about uh, like urban natural history topics, but more and more in other types of environmental writing, um, and now more in, in a lot of feature and investigative stuff as well. Uh, so, but it's been my writing home for a long time, and I've been talking to the editor about the idea of, of getting a a um, an anthology together of, of essays that I'd done or, or, or columns I'd done for the grid. Um, I was chatting with another naturalist in Philly named Ann Becker, who's who's one of the sharpest, one of these people who like in Philly who I mean, well, I guess anywhere, but who knows, um, as I put it once when I was talking about her, like who knows fungi and moths. And so I was like right there, plus the sharp birder and just knows like everything else too. But to me, someone who, who knows their moths um, and knows. Their yeah. And, and is like, you know, she, she's one of those people that knows a whole lot about a whole bunch of stuff, but she knows like a little bit about everything else too. You know, <laughs> at least one of those folks. <laughs> Even the obscure stuff. It's, it's amazing. But in any case, I was, she was on a, uh, on a nature walk. I was leaving for the city nature challenge in 2019 um, at a really neat spot called Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, which is like this historic site, but it's this old fort that's on the tidal Delaware and has like this moat, which is like this great tidal wetland. It's just like, it's a, to me, like one of the underrated nature spots in Philly, but we were doing a walk there and um, I, she had mentioned that she was working on a book and I was like, Hey, can I talk to your editor? Um, and so she put me in touch with folks at Temple University Press. Um, Temple University is a major public university in Philly, uh, and they have the University Press. And so I talked to them, and they were like, yeah, we don't know about the whole anthology thing. Yeah, they weren't so into reprinting stuff that had been printed before. But they said, hey, do you want to do an activity guide? Um, I said, sure, because it's basically, uh, A, I think it's a neat idea, but also is, is for someone like me, it's pretty easy in the sense that you know, for, for 10 odd years, I've been writing about, um, I've been writing about nature in Philadelphia, uh, you know, 12 times a month, uh, and sorry, 12 times a, a year. And that meant I, I already knew like off the top of my head, I could rattle off a whole ton of different activities one could do and, and phenomena one could try to focus in on in the Philly area. Um, and so it was a lot of fun to write. Um, you know, I was talking to someone recently about what research I did. And I'm like, I didn't do a ton of research. Like I, I, I sort of 
it, it, a lot of it was off the top of my head, then checking stuff with, um, with contacts and friends of different organizations in the area. Um, I was joking. I said that the, the one thing I did research for in terms of like physical, well, I did a lot of dragging my kids out <laughs> and making them <laughs> do activities with me um, just to double check things that I, I remember doing once, like, you know, 10 years before. But uh, I also, you know, one time I remember our buddy Robin Irisari, um had texted me about, or texted a bunch of us about watching Nighthawks at a Phillies game, Phillies are a local baseball team. And um, I like Nighthawks a lot. I thought that was really neat. Like the, the biggest piece of like me going out and trying an activity to research it was me going to a Phillies game with Robin <laughs> and like watching birds. And we didn't see any Nighthawks and the Phillies lost. Um, but, you know, I think being a Phillies fan, that you, you learn how to, how to roll with disappointment, um, which is the same as true as being a naturalist. You know, like there are plenty of times um, as a, you know, my core is as a herper, right? You go out and looking for some snake or turtle. Like the weather conditions are perfect. You're in a good spot. You just don't see him to get skunked. And it's like, that's life. Um, but it was still enough for me to validate the activity and, and be research, right? So, um, so that was so it was a lot of fun to write. I could just sort of write like another. We did we, the way we arranged it was with fifty-two different activities, kind of like one for each week of the year, so arranged seasonally. Um, and I, I think I got a lot of obvious things in there, like you know, for for me, you know, obvious urban activity is looking for for small snakes that manage to hang on in the city like brown snakes which means just going into gardens looking under stuff which I, I like to say is one of the best things you can do with kids is just go into gardens or go into you know if it's if it's a safe place go into vacant lots what have you um and look under stuff and like it's it's one of these things where you might not find the critter you're looking for. Like you might not find brown snakes, but you're going to find crickets and you're going to find worms and you're going to find ants and you're going to find beetles. Um, and so it's just like a really fun thing to do with kids. Cause you know, you, the kids might not be at all disappointed that you're not finding like the thing you were looking for because they're finding 10 other things that they think are really cool. Um, and so there's those kinds of activities. Uh, maybe some of the obvious birding kinds of activities, you know, like being uh, making sure you observe um, winter waterfowl when they're in our waterways and, and ponds and parks and stuff like that. Um, you know, making sure you watch, uh, you know, spring migration if you can catch it in the park near you. Um, plenty of raptors that are fun and, and big and, and easy to observe around cities, um, whether that's like red-tailed hawks in North American cities or peregrine falcons, which I guess could be in cities around the world. Um, and then, you know, some quirkier things that reflect my own experiences. Um, and we picked for the cover uh, an activity called squirrel fishing, uh, which, man, I think I want to put audio of that on the podcast. But uh, the, I, I, this is something I found on, on YouTube once when I was writing an article about squirrels for grid. And the idea of it is that uh, you tie, you take a fishing rod. Um, and I recommend relatively a setup for, for relatively, relatively stiff setup with heavy line. Um, but in any case, you, you, you're tying your, your, your line around an unshelled peanut, right? Um, and you're finding a place where there's squirrels that are already pretty habituated to eating handouts from people. And so you cast your, your peanut out there, uh, and your goal is to get the squirrel off the ground. Um, because what happens is that, you know, the squirrel sees the peanut, squirrel wants to take the peanut, chew it open, eat the, the, the kernels inside. 
Um, but uh, peat squirrels, you know, you, you might think that the squirrel might be like freaked out that the peanut is somehow come to life and it's fighting back. It, 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 but in reality, what the squirrel does is it immediately figures out what you're doing. <laughs> it's like squirrels will make eye contact. Will make eye. The, the squirrels will make eye contact with you while they are holding onto this peanut and chewing into it. Um, and so while you're trying to pull it off the ground, the squirrel is like first squirrel. I, I find with like peanut number one, they chew through the peanut. Like peanut number two or three, they figure it out and they just chew through the line and just cut the line and run away with the peanut. Um, and so it's it's a lot of it's a fun way to mess with squirrels. Um, you know, gray squirrels in North America at least, and probably in the UK, are animals you shouldn't have to feel too bad about messing with. I mean, they're they get up, they get by pretty well, pretty well. They get some food out of the mix, um, and uh, and they're just they're just like smart, uh, interesting animals to play with. And so that's an activity that like I don't know that that everyone would have put it in there. Uh, we got that on the cover. A friend of mine. Um, named Samantha Witchen, who's a great artist uh, or graphic designer, um, engineer, jack of many trades, awesome person, wrote a lot in Grid actually over the years about recycling. Um, and she did the, the illustrations and the design work. It definitely was important for me uh, to use photos of local stuff. Uh, so I sort of went to, so, so all the pictures are the stuff that I took. Um, and I'm not the best photographer out there, so it's not a ton of stuff that I took, but a lot is from photographers in the Philly area. Uh, so like you mentioned Ann Becker, she's got some pictures in there. Um, you know, Christian Hunold, who's a local political scientist, but also, uh, you know, keen wildlife observer, great wildlife photographer, has been on the podcast a few times, talking about rats and other things like that. Um, Christian's got a lot of pictures in there. Um, so it was a it was a fun place to showcase some of the talents of of our local you know our local nature community you know um, and so yeah it's, it was a lot of fun to write it's out it's I got an email from the publisher uh, saying after a few weeks that it was the number one uh, new release in Philly travel on Amazon um, and of course I was like well how many are in that category <laughs> but we were we were beating a new pub crawl book and so I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> more people cared about nature than about pub crawling uh at least for that the, a few weeks there um but yeah, yeah if you if you do want to get it go get it it's uh it's on you know your big booksellers like amazon and barnes noble temple university press you can get it straight from them we're hoping that it'll pop up in more local philly bookshops um so i could send people to some local businesses to get it um there's an ebook I version too yeah, and the thing is about this book is, in fact, I think we should talk about you doing a universal one, and I would be very happy to help you do that. But I think a lot of this book is, I'd say at least half of the book is could be applied universally, you know, is not just to Philly. It's just a great idea to do in nature anywhere in the city or just in general, not just Philly, you know. Yeah, and I, I think especially if you get into like just our continent, Eastern North America. Um, but yeah, I, I think anywhere you are, and this is one of the things we get into nature activities, is that like, you know, picking flowers and pressing them and then doing some artwork with them. You can do it anywhere in the world, you know, and people do yeah. it everywhere in the world for, for centuries, right? Um, it's like, I feel like it's one of these things like with so many activities, the Japanese have taken it to a, 
to like a, 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 a certain artistic refinement <laughs> that can either be awesome or absurd, depending how you look at it. But yeah, so it's like around the world, people press flowers and, and make art with it. Um, and then, uh, you know, bird watching. Yeah, you know, like we, of course, you can do this and you can do it. You can do everything we're talking about in Australia, you know, to maybe reverse the season. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, going into your basement and looking for, um, for interesting bugs that are in your basement or, you know, if you don't have a basement, like under your, in your pantry or under your, your cabinets or something like that. Um, you can actually find a lot of this, and this is, this kind of touches with what you were talking about with your book, Tony, that there's so many things that are cosmopolitan species or at least regional, um, that like, you know, if you go to a basement in Philadelphia, like one time we did actually, we're having a meeting at my house for a city nature challenge. Um, and we just needed a break. And so we all went down to my basement. We're looking for like house centipedes, long legged cellar spiders, you know, which are species that you find. Like, I think they're, I don't even know where they're from originally. You're, you're Asia, I guess. But like, um, now they're all over the world in basements. Um, and so if, I'm sure if you went to someone's basement in um, any, you know, any place you've got a basement that's relatively cool and damp um, and dark year round, which is, you know, what basements are for. Um, you can find a lot of the same species. I don't know, going on about the, the basement species, but um, yeah, it's, uh, and I, um, I, <laughs> I hope it sells well. I'll say we're, no one's going to get rich off of this, um, but I hope that if it sells pretty well, um, then uh, that it's something that will, that we can, you know, I can keep writing books <laughs> and get, <laughs> and get more, um, get more comp concepts and topics out there. Um, but I, that I hope we all find her interesting. Um, yeah. That's yeah. I just, awesome. 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 I just texted you because I actually have a book that I want to write with McGraw that I won't talk about right now. Um, that I think might actually be really appropriate for temple as Mike's also an adjunct there with me. So check your, you know, check your texts. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. I think, uh, and this is one of the things you realize is, I don't know when I was a kid, like, books are these magical things you know and like you don't sort of don't imagine that you could write one um but actually if you're already you know, writer or used to writing it's totally doable and a lot of us are i mean tony you write a you write you know wildlife um or nature shorts all the time for parks and recreation content um you know like you teach you know this is all stuff that's in your real life yeah, and let me just bounce something off you. I was talking to my wife about this, and um, you know, I really want to write a book. I mean, I have several books in mind. Um, two main ones, although the wildlife field guide book I think could be, you know, several books depending on you know how the publisher wants to play it. But um, sure. um what do you think is what's rarer? What's harder to do? Do you think or writing i don't know exactly what you mean by hard to do but what's more like i don't know i'm about to put i'm about to release my third full-length album right um and it's like you know on, it's a on a big on a pretty big label it's coming out on every format you know and so my third album everything you know my band has put out three full-length albums that you know on vinyl that have also come out on cd you know, each one being pressed in multi thousands. Um, and like, what's more like, I don't know, prestigious. I don't know. What's like, like, 
that I put out that, to put out records or to put out books. You know what I mean? Like, like I think of it very similar, man. I, I think, but I think you can like, they each can be more or less like effort and laborious depending how you approach them. Right. Like I wrote the book I wrote is 40 something on a thousand words. It's not that long. Um, and it was, it's pretty simple stuff. Uh, you know, as opposed to like some very heavily researched academic work that's a lot longer and, and is heavily sourced and cited and everything. Um, whereas, I mean, I think like you have albums that people say, like they go into the studio and just, and bang it out pretty quick. And then stuff that people spend years working on the, like writing the songs for, you know, and, and making it more elaborate. So I think it could, it could be, it, it, I, I see it as a tie. It just sort of depends on like what you're doing for each particular one. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, I mean, with you, with a band, it's collective. It's a multi-person coordination effort also, right? Like you've got, yeah. this one, you have bandmates living in different cities across the country. Um, and uh, it's, it's just right there. You've got a coordination challenge that like when you're writing a book on your own, like it's work, but you're not necessarily coordinating with other people until the, the latter production parts, which I think would be similar for a record, right? Yeah, it's weird too. Cause like, I mean, it's definitely, that's absolutely true. And, um, although the, the, the book I just texted you about, I think would be pretty collaborative. Although was the thing is, is that like, there's a difference between like getting a file and like editing it and putting like inserting a chapter into a, a word file rather than like having to like sing over like <laughs> the file. Someone <laughs> sent me, you know what I mean? Um, but, it is a, uh, um, you know, I mean, I guess there's some parallels there. Um, but the one thing, you know, with the book is it's purely intellectual. Um, it's about your talents are all in your head, you know, like while um, with the record, um, you literally, you know, you physically have to, I mean, I know you have to, like you have to like i can't type for shit and so uh for instance my um one of my best friends um the godmother of azalea not that we're religious but well you know she feels that role friend catherine her father was a famous military historian russell wigley and he wrote all these famous books like the eisenhower's lieutenants um a great civil war he wrote um, one of the best books about the history of Philadelphia. Um, and he um, also Temple, by the way, he was a department head, history department head. And uh, he's a total legend, like literally like, like uh, a Colonel in like full uniform spoke at his funeral, you know, like when I was there, like, anyway, he wrote all these books and he just used like, like I do use two fingers, you know? Right. Um, so, but with the record, like, you actually have to be able to play instruments or make noises in a certain way. You know what I mean? There's, there's like an actual, do, like, I'd say like writing isn't just about the act of typing. It's about, you know, composing sentences and paragraphs and, and getting your, so I think I, I'd say that there's a, I don't know. I think that's sort of like, it's, uh, no, it's, I think we're saying, I think we're saying the same thing. What I'm saying is like, is writing is like, is, it doesn't it, i'm saying it doesn't matter if you can't type 
because it, it, it'll, it'll just take longer, but you'll, you'll get the words out, right? It's, it's, it, it's with music. There's ideas in your head that you've, you have to be able to like, um, make into noise and, yeah. and, and, and so you have to, like, there's a physical, I'm saying there's a, there's a, there's a, a physical, um, there is. element. That dimension is definitely, yeah, you're right. There's a physical element to it. That's not, that's not the same. There's no physical element to writing. You know what I mean? Like, like Stephen Hawking's wrote some of the oh, you know, most see, famous yeah. books of all of ever. So like, and I'm, what I'm getting at is like, is that like, is that, you know, so there's like a whole part of recording music. That's like, not at all intellectual it's like you you know like you have to like, it's like a physical talent or like a physical a, process a, in a way it's a craft you know and, and that's a, right so like in and like so that's like a, another and well some ways it's like another layer of difficulty it's also like um it also means that if you are able to do that task it um then you could produce records and be involved in records, even if you don't have that like intellectual prowess. So it's like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just saying they're different in a lot of ways, but like, um, you know, people who are like complete morons somehow managed to make amazing music. You know what I mean? Like I know these people, you know what I mean? Hopefully soon we'll be able to read Tony's book. Um, you can read my book now and hopefully both of us more books over time. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so and like, I'm not just saying this because Billy's one of my best friends. His book is fucking fantastic. <laughs> um, and she'd be very proud. It is, I'm proud of it. It's fun. Um, I've got my mom. My mom's out there bugging bookstores to carry it, which I know is a, a mark of, of, you know, proud parent. But I, I that kind of yeah. radiates back in. So cool. So yeah, please go find it. Um, and hopefully we'll have books from both more books for both of us in time. Um, and keep listening to the urban wildlife podcast. So thanks for listening. Thank you very much, everybody. And we'll try to get these out more often soon. Cheers. Cheers.